0: Well, good morning, you have cool and gatter. My name is Michael, and you might remember me from such things as what you just watched on the screen. That was me, friends. That's good. That joke worked a little bit better than the 8 a.m. Thanks for laughing along. Bodes well for the rest of the sermon. Friends, uh, I've never met you before. I'm the lead minister of the United Family of Churches. So we have three churches, one family. We have a church in Brisbane, church in Coolangatta, and church in Rabina, And uh, we're three churches with three pastors and three elderships, but we believe God's given us a similar vision, same heart. We want to see continued church planting as well. So it's a privilege to be here today um, in lieu of your pastor who's actually been away for the last two weeks on holidays. Now, what I love about United Coolies, whenever I come, it's like a warm hug, this place. It's like you rock up and you feel like, you know, I don't, I've not even met half of you. But half of you were waved at me already just because you thought I was a new person. That was awesome. We had a comment on our Facebook page, that, you know, I've you a couple weeks ago that was like, it feels like the whole church is the connect team. Now, some of you are like, I don't even know what a connect team is. They're the people standing at the doorways with the shirts waving you in. That's all of you. That's amazing. But you know what I know is that culture comes from the top. It comes from guys like, when I say top, that's the wrong way to talk about the kingdom, but it comes from guys like Scott and Georgie Wrigley, who are just like beautiful pastors of this church, and the team, and the ministry, and it bleeds down out. So it's an honor to be here today. Um, I was speaking to Scott last week. He's excited to be back with you all, but he's also enjoying resting. How good's rest, amen? Fantastic. Now, on the screen just then, we heard about New Life Conference. New Life Conference is something God's put on my heart for a long time. And, and it's been this sense of one of the only moments we're going to get everyone, part of the New Life family across Queensland in the room together. Now, this week, we've had a whole bunch of registrations flying in from New and Koolangatta. But what we know is that some of you haven't yet registered. We don't want you to miss out on this great opportunity to be in the room. We're going to have food. We've got Mark Sayers, Julia Bell. Um, some of the New Life team will be sharing and speaking. But here's what we're believing. We're going to encounter God together, be aligned behind his vision for our family, that the future will be better than the past, that the best days are still to come. So I've got to ask you if you have not registered yet, that QR code in front of you, kind of like the cards, It's your gateway to everything. You can register there, and we'd love to see you in just a couple of weeks' time at New Life Conference. Having said all of that, it's now time to get to the word. Would you join with me as we just pray for a moment? Loving God, we steal our hearts before you. Whatever we have come from, whatever we're going to, Father, I pray, may it just be put aside just for now. I believe you are here with us right now. Whether we feel you or do not feel you, it does not change the reality of your presence. I thank you for that. Thank you that we have access to that which many people for years and centuries longed for. God, may we not take you for granted today. Steal our hearts. Turn down the distractions, that we may hear Your voice clearly. Less of me, God, more of You. We pray, and all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. We're in a series on prayer at the moment, friends. A series learning about how do we pray. You know, the Bible. In the Bible, we see the disciples say to Jesus, "Teach us to pray." And then in Matthew chapter six, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus launches into it. But today, I want to begin by tackling one of the most controversial theological questions you're probably going to come across today. It's a question that in my life, there's been many debates, there's been many concerns, many fights, some relationships ended, some begun, all around how people answer this question. And it's a question today that I'd love to try and put to rest. And simply this, should we be praying for car parks? Should we be praying for car parks? Now, some of you are like, what are you meaning? Like a car park, like duplex story thing? No, I'm talking about, you know what it's like. You're at Pack Fair or Rubina at Christmas time, and it's the 24th of December because you, like me, have decided that you would leave everything to the last minute. However, you and the whole Gold Coast also have the same idea in your mind, and everyone descends. It kind of becomes like this unique purgatory hell situation, all in this middle shopping. You can't even get into David Jones yet because the first half hour of your experience is Is just you looking for a space to park your car. Now, in that moment, if you were raised in church, or maybe you have experience with faith, or maybe you have that annoying grandma or friend that's in your car, someone, or maybe it's your mind, comes up with the suggestion, hey, maybe we should pray for a car park, right? Now, some of you are laughing. Some of you are scoffing. Some of you are like, that's what I do every time I go to the shops. (laughs) Now, there are different reactions here. Some of you are sitting there going, 100. You should pray for the car park. Name it and claim it, baby. Let's go. Jesus provides all things. I can't wait for my park arc next to the pram and disabled park's pole position, baby. That's where you're at. Some of you over here, and you're in the you're in the Michael crowd. You're in the cynical crowd when you hear people praying for car parks, and you're like, you really think the God of the universe, who knows that number of the hairs on your heads, who's orchestrating all eternal realities right now, wants to put aside holding all things together to lean in and give you a park at Pacific Fair? What the heck are you on about, right? Like maybe that's where you're at. And maybe you're over here and you're exploring faith. You're new to faith or you're not a Christian at all. And all you're thinking right now is Christians are crazy, man. Why are you guys praying for car parks at all? Just get better at shopping earlier. And to you, I say, don't judge in church, my friends. There's this sense, <laughs> something like, is he serious? A little. There's this sense, right? When we come before God, one of the questions that we, that we should be provoked to ask is, what can we pray to God about? What's off limits? Well, what are the things that we can bring before God? And what are the things that God's like, seriously? Like, I've got the Ukraine stuff happening right now. And you bring this, right? Like, and I think it's a really important question. Because for some of us, I think we long to have better prayer lives. I think we long to be people who know how to pray to God. But there's a timidity at times where we're like, well, can I, should I pray for this? Or is it just for this? Or am I just praying, you know, God, that your will be done in the universe and like leaving it up to him? Like, what do we do? The reason why we struggle with this is, if I can make a confession, it's because I think prayer is really, really hard. I realize that I'm a bit behind on my slides. That was meant to be the thing that cued the car park thing. <laughs> Moving on. Prayer is hard. Now, I'm not saying prayer is hard to kind of relate to you. I'm saying prayer is hard that you might be able to relate to me. I'm a professional Christian, friends. I'm a pastor. I'm full-time. And I'm wanting to stand in front of you today and say, I find prayer one of the hardest things about my relationship with Christ. And maybe I'm not alone. Now, some of you are like, oh, are you allowed to say that? I don't know. But who knows if I'll have a job tomorrow. What I know this is that I'm not the only person in this room right now that feels that way. See, there are many spiritual disciplines that lead us to become more like Christ. We can read our Bible. But I'm a nerd. I love reading. That's not hard. I'm like, yeah, sure, let's go read. That was never been my problem for me. Some people are like, oh, there's a spiritual discipline of meditation and solitude. I'm an introvert. I love solitude and meditation. It's like, oh, I'll just be by myself all day long. But then, as an introvert, I'm meant to start a conversation with a being that I cannot see, but I'm meant to believe and know that they are there and listening That's been something he's always found difficult. But here's the thing that I've also come to know as a pastor, as a human, but more importantly, as a follower of Jesus, friends, no matter how hard prayer has been in my life, it has always been vital. It has always been so, so pivotal to my relationship with God and the flourishing of the world around me. Why? Because I believe prayer changes things. I believe prayer changes history. I believe prayer changes eternities and prayer can transform your life today. Timothy Keller, one of my close friends, says this, prayer, though it is often draining, even Timothy Keller is a really famous Christian. I don't know him in case you're wondering why I'm quoting one of my best friends. It's like David and I having little nerd jokes on the front row here. Though it is often draining, even in agony, listen to this, is in the long term the greatest source of power that is possible. This guy started one of the biggest church planting movements in the world. And he says, prayer is draining and in an agony, but boy, it's powerful. Friends, I believe prayer is hard because it's central. I believe prayer is difficult because I believe there's a spiritual warfare that's trying to tell you that when something is difficult, it's not worth it. But the kingdom of heaven wants you to know that revolutions begin in the words of prayer. That's what we're hoping for today. Cory Ten Boom says this. Is prayer, your spare, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer where we run to when we need a car park or where we run every morning? I believe that this series, my heart, my hope for new life, and we were planning a series, me, Scott, Fiona, and Alex, and the pastors of new life, our heart was this, is that prayer would no longer be the spare tire of new life, cool, and gather. It would be the steering wheel of everything that we do. And so we plumb the depths of the Lord's prayer together. We started a couple of weeks ago with, with David launching into our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We learned that we have the same access and relationship to God that Jesus does. Last week, Katie Baldwin came along and said, we can pray this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where we can look at the grief and the pain and the suffering in this world. We go, this isn't God's heart for the world. God, let your kingdom break in here. And we join in and pray that this world would be blessed, that wars would be stopped and that suffering will one day cease. We can pray that. But then Jesus pivots, and in this moment, he turns around and he, he goes from like heavenly scales and like kingdom invasions, and then goes, and then also, amongst all that, God, you know, just give me my daily bread. And it's a really weird juxtaposition when you actually step back from the familiarity we have with the Lord's Prayer. The scope is so bizarre. It's like eternal realities. Hey, I need something to eat this morning as well, as well. You know, seeing the kingdom come and whatever. And what does this show us? What does this tell us? Well, friends, what we're going to do today is I believe there are three questions that we need to really be challenging and asking when we come to this topic of prayer. Number one, what does the prayer that Jesus gives us teach us about the character of God? What does the prayer that Jesus give us teach us about God's invitation? And what are the things that are going to hinder? The obstacles. What are the things that are going to detract us away from wanting to pray at all? Because, friends, Jesus doesn't give us this Lord's Prayer so that we might We might have a formula for prayer. This isn't like a mathematics equation. If you do A plus B, you'll get C. The Lord's Prayer is not the way we manipulate the arm of God to do what we want. A guy named Edmund Pinklowney says this The Bible does not present an art of prayer, it presents the God of prayer. What Jesus is wanting you to know today is not how you can say these six lines and suddenly God will do whatever we ask. It's how you might get to know a relationship with God. And so, what does Jesus do when the first thing he does, when he's teaching us how to pray, does he give us a position? Sit like this? Does he give us an outfit? Wear this? Does he give us a place? No, he gives us words. Why? Because every relationship starts with talking. Every relationship starts with talking. There is no relationship in the world that is healthy, that has been started by two people staring at each other for prolonged amounts of time. That's bizarre. But after 20 years, two people can sit together in in humble silence and not say a word because they've spoken so much they're intimately aware of the other person. Friends, I'm not saying we can't have silence and solitude in our prayer lives. I'm just saying that that's not where it begins. God wants to hear you speak to him in relationship with him. Why? Because he wants you to know that he has a character that can be trusted today, friends. When Jesus stands before his disciples and he says this, pray this prayer, our Father, thy kingdom. Then he gets to give us this day our daily bread. The first thing, like I said, we should observe is a change in scope from heavenly magnitude and earthly reparations to like, okay, now God, I just need to eat today. Why is this so significant? Why does God's scope change? Because I believe in teaching us that God is a God of scope, we recognize that he is simultaneously holding all things together in his hands and intimately passionate about what you're facing right now in this moment. And you, that should boggle us. That the God of the universe knows how this will all play out and doesn't sit back and go, just trust me, just, no, it's all going to fall into place, it's It's okay. He's like, no, tell me what you need right now. No, no I know everything's okay. I, I, I've seen how this, I've read the last chapter. Boy, it's good. But I know in your chapter, you need something. And I'm not just waiting till the end. I'm interacting right now. What is this teaching us? It's teaching us how God cares about the small things. In the book of Job, book of Psalms, sorry, not Job, Psalm chapter eight, the writer says this, Who am I, God, that you would be mindful of me? Exactly, her child. And when he says this to the disciples, the disciples are remembering a moment that happened thousands of years before when God first revealed this part of his character to his people. In Exodus chapter 16, thousands of years before Jesus roamed the earth, the Israelites have been led out of Egypt, out of slavery under the Egyptian rule, into the desert to be their own people shaped and formed by God. But they don't know who God is yet. They don't know if they can trust him. Because in past, their provision has come from slave owners And rulers, and now they're in the middle of the desert, and they're like, Where's our provision gonna come from? How can we trust this God? And so in Exodus chapter 16, what we see is God step in and show off in a beautiful way. When the people grumble about not having enough to eat, God says, I will provide for you. And he sends manna from heaven, which is like this bread substance which lays across the ground every morning. And six out of seven days a week, he provides food for them. And on the sixth day, he says, Just gather enough for the seventh, and so you can rest on the seventh, and then we'll go back again on Monday. But he says something interesting to them. He says, Don't gather more than what you need for the day. And when we ask, Well, that's a really bizarre thing. What was God trying to teach the Israelites? These Israelites who didn't know if their masters would give them the next meal, they didn't know if they would flourish or if they would thrive, now in the middle of the desert in uncertainty, and God's trying to teach them, you don't need a stockpile with me. You don't need to create a share investment portfolio of menna in the desert, hoping it grows exponentially so you can have some in the future. No, 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 I am the God who holds all things together, and I am the God of the Israelites in the wilderness who provides for you daily. What's he trying to teach them? I have created you and designed you to need me. Some of us have forgotten that. We treat God like a spare tire. It's a great quote. that says, there's no atheists in foxholes. Or another version would be, there's no atheists in crashing planes. We all cry out, help me, when we need it. But God's saying, I don't just want to be the God of the crosses. Honor the God that provides every single moment of your day. In fact, Jesus promises this to us. He says, Whatever you ask in my name, the Father in heaven will give you. And we're like, Well, anything? And he gives us his caveat. In Matthew chapter 7, if you then, Jesus says, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Sometimes we have this idea that God's out there trying to give us bad things or trying to hold back what is good from us. But Jesus Christ himself says this, your father longs to give you good things. But that's a really important qualifier. That we come to God and we can ask for anything in his name, but what's he going to give us? Only that which is good for us. Let me explain what this means. I have a son, he's named Archer, he's about two and a half years old. He's usually here, he's not here today, he's the one that runs around after the service stealing all your cookies sometimes, like that's his great kid. <laughs> <laughs> Eats them himself, doesn't even give him to me. But Archer, like, like he comes to me and my role as a dad is to provide for him and I love him. And so when he comes to me, he'll come with me some, with some of his needs, some of his daily bread requests sometimes. He goes, dad, I'm thirsty, can I have a drink of water? I'm like, yep. I realized as a father, one of my primary responsibilities is to make sure you have water, so I shall give you water. Right? I never say no to water unless I know he's trying to stall bedtime, in which case then we say no to water. And I'm like, yeah, great. Let's always have water. It's a helpful need. But sometimes Arthur comes to me and he's like, he wants something else? He's like, dad, I need a chalky milk. I'm like, hmm, I don't know if you need a chalky milk or if you want a chalky milk. He's like, no, I need a chalky milk. <laughs> I'm like, well, you and I are very different here. I'm like, hey, we might have some water now because I, don't, I think you've had enough sugar today, so we're going to have some water instead, and that's what you need in this moment, and water is good for you. Now, does he know water is good for him? No, he's got no idea. He thinks chalky milk's like the food of the gods, but it's not. I, as his father in heaven, go, no, I'm not his father in heaven. Whoa, God complex on stage. Someone's like, someone give someone a call. There's this moment where I see it. I'm like, hey, this isn't what's best for me. But there are other moments where at the shops, he's like, dad, can I have a chalky milk? And I'm like, you know what? You can have a chalky milk. This is a great opportunity. He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, take him home, give him to his mom. It's amazing. But there's this moment. What am I doing there? I'm actually wanting his flourishing and his good. And he doesn't have the same context of what good is that I have. How much more would that be different with God you want know, him to get a chalky milk? Do you know what he does? Throws a tantrum. And we're like, no, oh, little kids, friends. How often do we do that with God? We don't get what we want. Oh, God was never there in the first place. Where is He? He didn't. End. And God's like, you don't know what I know. God's not this megalomaniacal like dictator in heaven, going, I'm only going to give you some things because I don't like you. It's not how He works. He's a good father. And one day, you will know why it was no instead of yes. Why it was not now instead of wait till the future. But we trust his character more than we trust anything else in the world. And this is central to what Jesus is trying to invite us to do here. He's trying to say, you can come to God and bring your needs and requests. And friends, I think some of us have stopped bringing our daily needs before God. Because we're more obsessed with our own character rather than God's. But God's invitation here is not just to be your father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, not just for his kingdom to come so that war and famine might cease, but that he might be invited into your everyday moment. But here's what's interesting about what Jesus does. This prayer is not just about you. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's say it, let's say it together. Give, it's better than the 8 a.m., but let's try again. Give us, give us today our daily bread. Which means that when we pray this, what Jesus is actually inviting us to pray is to pray for our community. How many times do we pray for the needs of those around us? A guy named Martin Luther, a great reformist thinker, says this. When you realize what's happening in this prayer, you realize it's actually a prayer of social innovation. If you were to pray, give us today our daily bread, and you go to your fridge, you're like, oh, I brought two loaves. I'm fine, God. But you know this guy over here is starving without a bread, and you go, give us today our daily bread. Would not the hand of God provoke you to be the miraculous provision of God for someone in your world? To say, give us today our daily bread, does that mean that God might be inviting us to pray that the social injustice, the institutions, the economic changes that are happening, that are causing economic instability and inequality in our world might come to an end so that we might have access to our daily bread. This isn't just about our daily needs. It's also about a God who cares about social justice. Because that's what I love about Cooley. When I hear Scott talk about people who come on site here who have maybe gone through hard times, it's not, well, you know, come back during the week, we'll see what we can do. I've heard stories where people bought them food or reached out and comforted. Because to pray, give us today our daily bread is to make our community have what it needs. And here's what I know, friends. Sometimes God is going to use you to be the miraculous provision for someone else's prayer being answered. That's how God so often works. What a beautiful thing that we pray when we realize the heart of God is not just about giving you your wants. No, Peter, uh, this guy named Peter who wrote 24-7 Prayer Movement and wrote a book called How Can I Pray, beautiful guy. He says this, this prayer is not about tomorrow's wants, but today's needs. Today's needs. So, friends, do you know the character of God is to give you good things? Do you know that? Because the second thing that we have here is we have an invitation. We have an invitation from God to step in and petition him. Everyone say petition. Didn't say this in the 8 a.m., just 10 a.m. exclusive, just for you guys, because you're my favorites. Not really, don't tell them. They were lovely people at the 8. No one's laughing at that joke. I will not say that joke again. Someone's going to ring someone from the 8 a.m. and be like, do you know what he said about you? And I'm going to have the whole email line. All right. Now, when we say the word petition, what we're talking about here is a form of prayer. And petition is to come before God and to ask something. And what we're actually seeing Jesus say here is, you can come before God and ask boldly for things that you need. Are permission to do that. Why don't we do it? It's because I think we're immature in our spirituality. Because what I think Jesus is praying here is not only that we would see our daily needs met, it's that we'd grow in our spiritual maturity. Now, when I say that, some of you are like, oh, what does that mean? Well, let's, let's think about it. What does it mean to be mature in the world? If someone's mature, what does it look like? Now, I'm not talking about age. Like, it's not a physical thing. But you know someone's matured when there's certain things that happen in their life. How come you don't call an infant mature? There's some very clear reasons. How come some of you call a 21-year-old mature? Some of you have 21-year-olds, and you're like, they're not mature. I'll tell you that right now. There's this moment, right, where there's a difference between a baby and an adult. What's usually changed? Developmental, capacity, ability. But one of the biggest things is independence. As someone matures, what they start to do is they leave the things they did as a child and they start to enter into a moment of independence from adults and they apply their own responsibility and wisdom. They step into this moment of independence. I'm not talking about they never need help, but there's a sense of personal agency that's helpful there. Now, the reason why I say that is because... That's actually completely the other way around in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, spiritual maturity isn't about independence. Spiritual maturity is actually completely about dependence. In the kingdom of God, those who are independent of God are the most immature. In the kingdom of God, those who don't need help, those who don't need community, those who don't need church, those who don't need God to intersect and interrupt the world, in my life, I've seen they're the most spiritually immature Because in the kingdom of God, we're called to have a childlike faith. We're called to be like the little children. What is so critical about little children is dependence. They know they can't do it on their own. And friends, one of the key things that Jesus is inviting us into is he's giving you permission to be vulnerable and weak. He's saying it's okay in God's kingdom to not be okay. In fact, the great mothers and fathers of the faith, the further they go with Jesus, the more they pray about. The further they go with Jesus, the more they realize they can't do it on their own. And how good is that? That spiritual maturity is not self-sufficiency in the kingdom of God. It is desperate need for him to move. You know, I I forgot this this week. My son, Archer, again, makes a lot of appearances in my sermons these days because he's kind of like you know where I spend most of my time at the moment. And he's not sleeping well. And uh, I'm talking like really badly dreams and like not dreams that are really bad. I come in and say, what are you dreaming about? He's like, the cows are coming. And I'm like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And he's screaming. I'm like, clearly bad thing. So, you know, we're trying some exposure therapy and stuff like that, but it'll be fun. (laughs) And there's this moment where I come in and, uh, you know, he's crying at 4 a.m. It's like morning after morning after morning. And we've got a one-year-old as well. So I try to let my wife sleep. And, And I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? And it's just a bit hard. And like, I'm tired, getting like three, four hours sleep a night and waking up and trying to write this awesome service sermon for the coolies so no one falls asleep. And I'm angry. I'm like, why is he not sleeping? How come? Why am I a failure as a dad? I'm starting to carry this weight all week long. I know some of you are like, dude, don't get a grip of yourself. I'm too being vulnerable here. Um, and I just felt it this week. I was just really tired and angry at myself. And like, I just could have handled a bunch of situations differently. I'm writing this sermon about give us today our daily bread. I just sense like God be like, Michael what's your daily bread today? I'm like, nothing, God. I've eaten. I'm fine. And I just realized, like I hadn't hadn't actually brought this situation to God. You know what's interesting is I brought it to God, and the next morning, he woke up at 4 a.m. screaming again. I'm like, God, what the heck, right? But then what happened in that moment is that I invited God into a situation where I had a need, and God could speak. And we've been talking a lot about my patience. We've been talking a lot about, hey, what's this revealing about my character? How I want God to answer a need, and he's revealed a deeper need in my heart. All because I brought my daily bread before him. But he hasn't answered it the way I hoped. But boy, it's been good. Friends, some of us are not submitting our daily breads to God, and we're missing out on what God wants to do in our life because we're wanting him to be an ATM machine just giving us everything we think we need. So much of this is about trust. When you come before God, Pete Grieg says it like this. He says, when you ask God for stuff, the first thing, it's relational. It's not transactional. God, make my son go to sleep. Thank goodness. I'm going back to bed. That's not the win. The win is God stepping in and talking to me about that moment and building relationship with me. The second thing is vulnerability. Do you know how hard it is for parents to admit they're not doing well as a parent? Most parents don't do that. It's a competition. Amen to the parents out there. Sometimes I can feel that way. No one else is like, no, that's not the way it is. because it's a competition. You're trying to be better than me, right? But this is smart. Like, actually, you know what prayer is? It's vulnerability. Prayer is actually coming before God and saying, I need help. Prayer is intentional. It's not passive. Prayer is this moment of going, hey, God, if you could rock up, this is what I'd love it to look like. Friends, you know what is going to kill your faith faster than anything else? self-sufficiency, not needing Jesus to be in your world. Maybe you're here today and you just got a whole closet full of demons right now. Like there's just stuff happening and you're just like weighed down. Can I say you are ripe for a deep relationship with God? He knows how to handle darkness. He knows how to handle pain. He knows how to handle weakness. I'm living proof of that. Because our God doesn't say, hey, come to me when you've got it all worked out and we'll take the kingdom together. No, he's, his people are people marked by weakness, by need, by vulnerability. You know, When Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, he doesn't say, teach me how to save for bread. Teach me how to invest in crypto so I can always afford bread for the rest of my life. Teach me how to you know, put my money over here and manage it really well so bread's never an issue for me and my family and then I can just go to church. And make... No, he's actually saying every day, wake up. Now, I'm not saying that financial investments is anti-God. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have crypto. All power to you. But I'm saying what Jesus wants is he wants us to live a life where every day we wake up and go, I need God. Otherwise, I don't know if I can make it through. That's a life of spiritual maturity. This guy named George Mueller um, ran an, orphan, uh, an orphanage in Bristol in England back in the 1800s. And a beautiful man. Uh, and as he ran this orphanage over his lifetime, he fed 120,000 orphans. But something happened is that he never believed in raising money because he thought he would just take God at his word. He's like, well, Jesus says you give us today our daily bread. So God, you have called me to this, so you better make this thing happen. And there are all these amazing stories of provision. Where George Muller, one morning, he steps up in front of this room filled with orphans. They've all got empty plates in front of them and empty larders down below. He's like, kids, you're going to be late for school. So we've got to get God to do something here, otherwise we're not going to eat today. So he stopped and said, God, give us today our daily bread. The next moment, knock, 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 goes down to the door, opens up. The town baker's there. He said, George, weirdly, I woke up at 2 a.m. this morning. God told me I had to make you a whole bunch of bread. Do you know what that's about? But yeah, I think I've got some ideas about what that's about. Come on in. Next moment, the milkman comes along. It's true. He's recording all these narratives and stories about George Mueller and his time with these orphans. And this old milkman comes along and comes along and knocks on his door and said, George, um, listen, we just broke down around the corner and all the milk's going to go off. Do you guys need any milk today? He's like, flipping. Yes, we do need milk today. It was 18th century, so he probably didn't say flipping, but you get the idea, right? And, and in this moment, George Mueller's whole life was filled with this. But sometimes we're like, well, it must be nice to just click your fingers like George Mueller, and God suddenly rocks up. It's not true for him all his life. He had five friends who didn't know Jesus, and every day he would pray for his five friends. Something like 30 years of praying every day for his five friends, and the first one came to know Jesus. I think it was about a decade later, he's praying every day for the other four. Another two came to know Jesus. Then he passes away in 1857, and after his death, the last two that he prayed for his whole life came to know Jesus. Why? Because George Mueller wasn't asking God to be his waiter. George Mueller was saying, God, this is my need. I'm willing to see how you're going to answer this today. What is this going to look like? Because it was a daily rhythm of this is my need. God, how are you going to rock up? Friends, what does this mean in your world? I believe, and I felt convicted about this. Once again, 8 a.m. didn't get this. This is a 10 a.m. special. I believe that new life needs to be marked by more miracles. We need to be marked by a church that are boldly declaring not that just God might make us feel better about ourselves, not that we might be happier, but of the divine breaking into our world. Here's my question. Where are the George Muellers of our day? Where are the moments where people are going, hey, I don't know how it's going to happen if God doesn't rock up, but boy, let's see if he does. We've got to be praying for healing. We've got to be praying for people to be delivered, for people to come to know Jesus. Not because it's going to happen every time, but because we will refuse to do anything less than ask boldly of God. This guy named Walter Wink says this miracle is just a word we use for the things the powers have deluded us into thinking God is unable to do. When God heals someone, he doesn't go, What the heck happened there? That was amazing. He's like, It's it's kind of what I do. It's kind of, I, I I created it all so I can do this stuff. Like this is natural for God, it's supernatural for us. But how many of our things in our life go unanswered? This guy said this, 100% of the prayers that go unprayed go 100% unanswered every single time. What prayers are you praying for Kulungata right now? What prayers are you praying for your family? And even if it takes 50 years, would you pray daily? George Mueller went down in history because he never gave up. May we be marked by a church that bring our daily needs before God, that we might see heaven break into this world. Amen. A guy named Abraham William Temple, Archbishop William Temple, not Abraham at all, says this. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. Friends, can I tell you something? Should we pray for car parks? Unequivocally, yes. Do you want to know why? Every time I've met someone that prays for car parks all the time, they're really weird people. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) But they, you know what? They pray all the time. Not just about car parks. Can I tell you what it's true about myself when I've ridiculed people for praying for car parks? I don't pray for much. It's because I'm too cynical. But as I've allowed God to teach me, it's a couple of years ago now, Emory convicted me. He's like, why don't you want to ask me about a car park again? I'm like, oh, because you don't care. He's like, oh. This remember the sense of God being like, so now Michael is the arbiter of what God cares about. When you invite God into your world, and you say, hey, God, I just need a car park. And a car park happens. You know what I do next? Man, that's pretty cool, God. Thank you for that. How is that a negative thing to happen next? And if a car park doesn't happen, I'm not like, well, God, what were you doing with your world today? Like, what's going on? Like, there's this humility because here's what it is it's not just about car parks, friends. It's about our friends that are struggling with cancer. It's about these moments that we're like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I'm going to bring this need before you that you might intersect with it. Maybe you're not going to give me a car park today because I just need a little bit longer on the phone to mom. But I'm still going to bring the need before you and humbly submit all of my life to you. Friends, let's pray for car parks. Let's just not pray for car parks. Let's not just pray just for those. Let's pray for everything in our world that the divine might break into every part of our day. We're at the cash register, we're like, Hey, God, what do you want to do here? Hey, I want to say this to this person. Hey, okay, you're the God that gave me a killer car park. All right, let's go. That's the kind of people I sense that God is calling us to be. That we might go, Every coincidence isn't God rolling the dice, it's Him stepping intentionally into my world. Book of James says this Every good gift comes from the Father, nothing evil can come from God. What goodness is in your life that you've not realized is a miracle of God's providence and provision. What are you praying for God the Father today that he might break into your world? We see his character. We see an invitation. But finally, we see obstacles. And I'm going to move through these fairly fast. Because I think, friends, I can preach. And I can say, where are the George Muellers? And someone today is like, I'll be the George Mueller. And you're so excited. But then you're going to walk out of this room and something's going to change. I think that there is intentional spiritual warfare in our lives right now, particularly in this day and age, to tell you that prayer won't work and that prayer's not enough. There are three obstacles I want to make you aware of today to becoming a people of prayer. The first one is this. I think that it's the obstacle I've already mentioned of self-sufficiency, that you can do it on your own. The Simpsons, a show I was never allowed to watch when I was young, um, although I watched it when I was an adult. Then I was like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Then there's this moment in The Simpsons where Bart's called to pray for the food. And when he prays for the food, this is what he says, God, we paid for all of this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. And we're like, oh, he couldn't say that. No, he didn't get smarted. I've watched the show. He kept living for a long time after this moment. But what happens here is this. What's Bart saying? I did it all myself. What did you do, God? And this is such a bad understanding of God. Because there is nothing that exists, nothing good that exists, that is not a direct product and result of God's divine intention and will. Friends, take a deep breath in. What did you do to deserve that breath? What did you do to design your body the way it is to pray? That, we believe as Christians that this world has been infinitely designed and beautiful, that it was intended to be good, that all that is evil is all that is not of God. All that is broken in this world is all of God's unintention in this world and man's intention to ruin God's world. But God owns it all. You earned bread today. You earned breath today. It is all God's. So when we come before God, we're like, well, God, you did nothing for this. I just sense this grief in God's heart. Do you not know I painted that sunset for you today? The ability to earn, Job chapter 34 says that if it were his intention and, the, and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to dust. But he doesn't. The book of the, 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 In Ephesians, it says that Jesus Christ holds all things together by the power of his word, friends. What has God provided for you? What hasn't he provided for you? The second thing that is a barrier to us is this, is cynicism. And this is my one. I'm deeply cynical of people, of the world, and of God. You know why? It's because I've been disappointed. There have been times I've asked and I've prayed and it hasn't happened. Now, if I can say that as a pastor, I reckon there's more of us in this room. What cynicism leads me to do is go, man, when David prays, God's probably going to answer David, but not me. Why? Because I think I'm trying to protect my heart from disappointment. But can I tell you from one cynic to another what it does? Being cynical doesn't guard me from disappointment. It guarantees disappointment. You live a life where you don't see anything spectacular because you doubt anything spectacular will ever happen. But in these moments, I've chosen to step out and go, God, I could really use a car park right now. Step down and be like, God, can you bring healing? God, can you bring provision? There are these beautiful moments where he has. And I've been able to expect joyfully what God could do. God wants to give you joyful expectation today, friends. And the other reason why my cynicism has been challenged is because I believe it's actually a really bad understanding of prayer. See, the third and final obstacle of prayer is that we actually believe that there are prayers that God doesn't answer. I actually don't think that's true at all. There is no prayer that's ever been prayed that God has not answered. There's a difference between answering and yes. Really important. Probably God. <laughs> in this moment, Pete Greig, he wrote this book. Um, you know, a guide to prayer. It's a really good book. And Charlie, I invite you to go read. It. And he says in this book that God answers with traffic lights. Not really, like when you're driving, but. There are three ways God answers prayers. I've talked about this before here at Cooley. The first way God answers prayer is simply this. He says yes. George Miller asks for bread and bread rocks up. You pray that you might meet someone at church today. You meet someone at church today. It's awesome. And who doesn't love it when God shows us a green light? Amen. Come on. Sometimes God answers with yellow. Hey, not yet. Not yet. I didn't pick up the first time. He's a bit bothered. He's like, I'll try again. He says not yet. And what's so important about that is to recognize that sometimes God delays because faith is not built by instant answers, but by patient endurance. If God gave you everything you ever wanted, you wouldn't increase your faith of him. You would just ask and consume more of his things as he became a microwavable God to you. What faith does in us over time, what delay does is it says, hey, wait on me. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Friend, sometimes it is yellow because God sees why chalky milk is good in some seasons and why in some seasons it's damaging. And friends, sometimes it's red. It's no. And that hurts in some seasons. Can I tell you? There are many people I haven't dated because God said no and praise the Lord for that. But in the moment, I was like, where are you, God? How dare you say no? But It's a relationship, not an ATM machine. But there are some of us here who, like me, have experienced God seemingly not answer the prayer and not do what we ask because he said, wait or no, and it hurts. I don't know why God didn't heal my mum with cancer instantaneously. Why I've seen other people in my ministry, when we prayed for them, healed like that. I don't know. But in that moment, I don't try to understand why. I try and know who. God, teach me who you are. Because this hurts right now. I just want to validate there's some of you in this room that are deeply hurt by prayers that you think God hasn't answered. He has answered, but the question isn't even no. The question is, will you trust me here? Will you trust me? And maybe your disappointments lead you to cynicism. But there will come a day, friends, when we will stand together in the presence of God and it will all make sense. How do I know? Because I've seen God provide. Do you want to know how I've seen God provide? 2,000 years ago, in response to my brokenness, in response to your brokenness, where what I needed was a better life, a better way, and a better day. He stepped down and became a human. Jehovah Jireh, God who provides, stepped into my world. He rocked up and he said this, I want to show you what life. It's all right, everybody. I want to show you what life is. I want to show you what the world is. I want to provide a way out of your sin. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're struggling to, t- to understand the character of God, don't look to your answered prayers to know whether God can be trusted or not. Look to the person of Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of God's personality, character, and goodness, made flesh in this world. And in him, we see a God that doesn't run from suffering. But do you know what we see in Jesus? I've said this before at Cooling Out of too. We see God here, no. We see Jesus receive the red light. I'm not sure we know this, but God didn't answer Jesus' prayer the way he wanted to. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is down on his knees. He's praying to the Father. He says, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. I don't want to have to go through the cross, but your will be done. In that moment, Jesus comes before God with a prayer, and he has to trust his Father in heaven as a better way forward. Because God said no to the Son, he now can say yes to us. Not every no makes sense. Not every no is understandable. But Jesus is not a God that says, hey, I always got yes. He says, hey, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to, be endured, to endure pain. But I've been through it. And I know it. Now I want to take the greatest thing from you that I can. Your sin, your pain, your condemnation. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, whenever you break bread together, you do it in remembrance that I am the bread of life. I am your provision. I am your daily portion. I am the bread. My body was broken, so yours did not have to be. He took a cup and he said, hey, when you're struggling, whenever you gather together, drink of this cup. Remember that my blood was shed for your purity, for your holiness, for your salvation. That when you do this, we remember the provision of God, friends, that we might Ask boldly. So if you want to take the element with me today, and if you want to participate in what we call the holy ripping, would you just hold the the wafer biscuit with me? Just hold it. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, don't do this lightly. Come before God, examine your hearts. And allow God to restore what has been broken in this moment. Where in your life are you more self-sufficient than God-dependent? Why don't we bring those moments to God right now? Let's pray together. Gracious God, for those parts of our life where we have relied more on ourselves than we have on you, we ask for forgiveness. And now, people of God, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat together. And as you do, wherever you are, would you just stand with me as we prepare to drink together? This cup resembles Christ's blood. You know, maybe you're here for the first time today in church, and you're like, this is a really weird thing we're doing. We're eating someone's body and drinking depth. This is bizarre. Can I say, be honest? It is really weird, unless it points to something that is true, that is good, where there is life. Christ's blood was shed, so you might know purity and wholeness today. Drink together. extend your hands out in front of you like this. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Deliver us from temptations and from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, both now and forever.